Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Midwatch. As usual, I just want to say that this podcast is brought to you by Bravo Zulu Co. Bravo Zulu Co. is a uh, naval-based clothing company, um, but we're also more than that. We like to promote positive uh, thinking, dedication, and just overall doing good in anything that you do in your life and going out every day and earning that BZ. On this week's podcast, we have a special guest by the name of Daniel Robert. He's been a close friend of mine for the past couple of years, uh, and he is also a veteran to the Afghanistan war. In this podcast, he shares a little bit about his personal life, um, and he also goes into a couple of uh, battle stories in Afghanistan. Hopefully, you guys get a lot of information from this and uh, a new appreciation for some of the men and women who have fought for us overseas. And uh, without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy. All right, and we are live for the fourth episode, I believe, of the Midwatch. Um, and uh, we're here with Dan- uh, Daniel Robert, or Petty Officer Robert, some may know him as. Uh, how you doing, bud? Good, how are you? Not too bad. So, um, for those of you listening, uh, me and Dan have been uh, pretty good friends for the past uh, probably a little over two years, or actually might, it's actually exactly two years, exactly two years, almost to the day, actually. Um I checked into uh, Kings Bay, uh, my first command as a corpsman, uh, in April 2016, and Dan was my sponsor. Um, and uh, then we, after that, we continued to work together a little bit, and uh, that's kind of where the relationship came from. Now we have both moved on from Kings Bay, and uh, we're at different um, duty stations, but obviously the uh, relationship's still there. That's something that's nice about the Navy. Um, so, uh, how you doing, Dan? I know we pretty much talk every day still, but... <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing pretty good, man. <laughs> so, um, part, one of the things I want to do with, with this podcast is obviously, you know, talk to people, um, and, and better my personal communication skills. That's kind of the, the selfish reason I wanted to start a podcast. Um, but, uh, the main, the main true reason I want to start it is to give a platform for, uh, anyone to come on to kind of share their story but obviously uh veterans and and uh service members um especially is is what is truly important to me and uh you know nowadays with technology we don't need the history channel the discovery channel to to do these documentaries and air them um i can call you up uh on the computer and hit the record button and i can i can do my own work um so uh, i kind of wanted to take that the uh, the ease that technology gives me um, to kind of do that myself and and hopefully document some of these stories that um, you know may never be heard uh, but it's easy nowadays to, to document everything that we possibly can um, so you know I don't want to dive right into it uh, but um, we can kind of start start off uh, you know like, where do you come from what was your your high school like to play sports um and kind of what what brought you to the navy opposed to any other branch um so we'll kind of like i said we'll just kind of start from there so where did you grow up or where you I from grew up originally in, uh, so i grew up in like the palm bay melbourne area in florida a lot of people don't know where that's at but it's in brevard county it's uh just south of like Cocoa beach and all that good stuff so that's the east coast right uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh it's on the east coast between Jacksonville and Miami, so <laughs> So is it is it um is it by like Saint Augustine or Uh it's further south than that. South? It's it's close to like Cape Canaveral and everything. Oh, okay. 
All right. So we used to be able to watch like the shuttles and stuff taking off. Right. So that was always pretty cool. Kind of took it for granted when you were a kid. Right. It's just something that we saw. We just walk outside and see the shuttle launch, but that's pretty cool. Did you ever do like? Yeah. I'm assuming you had like a lot of like class trips and stuff there. Or? No, actually, <laughs> I've actually never been to the space center, <laughs> even though it's like right there. Oh, wow, I figured like your elementary school or high school or something would have done like some sort of trip there. Nah, we just watched it. We just walk outside. So you really didn't need to go there, really. Did the um, what, what was that? The space shuttle that we that we lost, the Discovery. Did that come out of there, or was that in Houston? It was it. Like uh, like there was that? two. There was the Challenger that oh, one exploded oh, on takeoff. Right. That one was launched out of there, but that was before I was born. Oh. And then. There was another one that uh, broke up uh, on reentry. That was over in Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was like early 2000s, I remember. But yeah. okay. All right. So okay. yeah, that was over Texas. Oh, okay. All right. So did you play any? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, it, you're you're a pretty big guy. Did you play any kind of sports in high school or? Yeah, I played uh, uh, football. I played uh, offensive line and a little bit of tight end. But then nothing really panned out after high school. And did you uh, <clears throat> did you attend any college? Or did you just kind of go right into the military? No, I uh, so I got a couple of letters from different like Division two and three and stuff like that. But like I said, nothing ever panned out with that. So when I graduated high school, I just started working. I did a whole bunch of different jobs. That's a pretty common, <clears throat> I feel like, common thing for most. Uh, um, I mean, me myself, I kind of did the same thing after high school. I kind of bounce around, bounce around, and then ended up just joining <laughs> yeah i worked uh i worked as like a lot porter for a little while like driving cars around a car dealership uh construction worked at a computer company uh, i worked at an oil company for a little bit uh, what else did i do and then i went to like the food service industry and i was working two jobs doing that and i was like man this ain't working out so um I believe the – I'm assuming the reason that you joined the Navy was because um, of your dad, right? Because uh, That's he... why I picked that branch, really. Mm-hmm. My dad was in the Navy. Uh, he joined originally uh, back during the Vietnam time. And he went originally to be a UDT or a frogman, what they're called SEALs now. But I guess he got frostbite in training, so – they kicked him out of the program, and then he kind of got soured on the Navy because they just bounced him around the fleet undesignated. So yeah, that's um, that because that's originally where the seals came from, right? It was in Vietnam, and they were like they were I called. Think it started you know, in like World War Two, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I have to look into their history a little bit. Because they were the because UD uh, it was underwater demolition team, right? Is that's like what that acronym was for? So they mm-hmm. would they would like blow up like bridges and like barriers and stuff like that. That was like their first like real mission, right? I think that's how they originated. He didn't talk about it too much. He, like I said, he wasn't very keen on the the Navy. He felt like he kind of got screwed over a little bit. It's, I guess it's fair after uh, if they just kind of bounce him around afterwards. It's kind of shitty. Yeah, they're like, oh, sorry about the frostbite in your feet for making you uh, PT in the snow and your skivvies in a shirt. <laughs> There's like four of his dudes in his class that got frostbite, so they kicked him out of the program and then just said, "Have fun out there," and sent him to a, some ship. Actually, so I, I, hated it. I just kind of put two and two together. The bathing suits that they that they issue at like dive school and stuff are called UDTs. Yep. <laughs> I'm assuming that's where the that name came from. 
Yeah, because those were the guys that wore their dive yeah. shorts. I wonder what, what that acronym stands for now, since they're just shorts. I, oh. I think there's the nickname for them. <laughs> Underwater demolition trunks. There you go. <laughs> you blow them shits off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, those are like the... Um, for for the guys listening who may not know what they are, those are like the traditional like they're essentially like uh, I think they're like canvas, like the real short short brown canvas shorts that like you may see in some movies and stuff. Those are the uh, the UDTs. James Bond had a pair, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty similar, but yeah, he did. They're just real short shorts. Um, I mean, they're bathing suits, but you can also wear them as like regular shorts, and that's and steel seal still use them to this day, and and EOD and stuff like that. They actually get uh, issued them um, in schools. So, as as weird as they look, they're actually pretty com- comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So, when did you graduate high school? What year? I graduated two thousand four. Two thousand four. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you worked, bounced around jobs for about like four years. And then what year, uh, you said 2008, right? You joined the Navy? Yep, April 2008 is when I joined the Navy. All right. So was there like a, um, was that something that you always knew you wanted to do? Or kind of like what, kind of talk to me about like the process that pretty much made you walk into the recruiter's office? I actually talked to an Army recruiter like right after my senior year. And that never panned out. And I thought about maybe doing law enforcement or something like that. But I don't know. I always something in that type of field and then I considered doing like a like paramedic firefighter or something like that mm-hmm. and then uh, like I said I wasn't making much money and I was working two jobs and I was like man I can't put myself through like paramedic school take time off of work so I talked to my buddy who was a corpsman from my high school uh, my buddy Tyler and he's he's told me it was pretty good so I listened to him and I went and talked to the recruiter and I was like yeah this ought to work out <laughs> So you always wanted to kind of be in the public service uh, uh, field, I guess. I guess would be a good word to use. They just yeah, didn't... kind of like public service, I guess you can call them. Public servant, something like that. Okay. So uh, 2008, you walked to the recruiter's office, and then when did you ship after boot camp? Uh, 2007 is when I kind of started it, and I did the debt program. I think I did it for like six months just because I was waiting on a uh, spot to open up for a school for Corman. Right. So April 2008 is when I actually ended up leaving, and then I went to boot camp. Okay. Um, I was a senior in high school. Nice. I think. Yeah, 2008. Yeah, I graduated 2008. All right. So, <clears throat> so you go to boot camp. You're in uh, Great Lakes, right? I'm assuming. Obviously, <laughs> that's the only one. Yep. Um, I'm not that old, man. <laughs> so uh, let's see. April. So you graduate boot camp around like June-ish. Uh, yeah, it was June. June. I remember my first weekend over at core school, uh, that I got there was the 4th of July. So, so one thing that uh, a lot of the older corpsmen like, um, uh, like Dan here likes to, uh, brag about to the newer corpsmen like myself is, um, the, uh, original a school, uh, for corpsmen, um, a school is the, the school that you go to after boot camp. And uh, that's the school where you learn your specific job in the Navy. Yeah, that's where you learn your primary job. The uh, original core school was in Great Lakes, which was right across the street from boot camp. Um, so they, a lot of them like to call that the real core school because obviously the newer core school where I go to is uh, down in Texas. So I just wanted to, wanted to put that out there. That Dan's, yep. a, Dan's a real corpsman. 
<laughs> so uh, what was core school like back then? Because I, I know it's a lot different now, um, and I'm actually pretty curious on like the, the differences. Well, core school has been through a couple different uh, uh, like curriculums and stuff like that. Even my buddy that I was talking about that convinced me to join when he went, it was they were trying out a self-paced, like online learning type of thing. So he breezed through it in like a month. Oh, so, so it was just all. And like... the fleet was kind of realizing like uh, this isn't necessarily a good idea. Well, I guess right around that time is obviously was like the big push into um, like Iraq and stuff. So they probably needed corpsmen. So they're probably just finding the yeah they're the fastest way they're to... streamlining them through there. They're yeah. pushing them all through. Because right. 2004 is when they did a the big push for Iraq. That's right. when a lot of the big engagements were happening. Right. All right. So what? So did was yours also that self-paced one, or or no? Were you? No. Nah, when I went there, it was just like a regular, typical Navy school, I guess you can call it. You show up, and you you dick around for a little while, like cleaning stuff up <laughs> until you class up, and then once you class up, you go right into like basic fundamentals medical field yeah so uh, different modules uh, you test out uh, again to, to give some context to his phrase uh dicking around and cleaning up um <laughs> uh, on top of being sailors the navy likes to train uh train us to be professional janitors as well so oh, yeah. um if you're ever in a position where like you're waiting to, to class up to a certain school or things like that which always ends up happening like I think in total, when I was in sub school, uh, sub school was comprised of four different schools, um, and in between each school, I was on uh, like a, in a holding unit for at least a month at a time. Um, but when you're in those holding units, there's really not much for you to do besides clean the same thing over and over again. So, uh, yeah, just make you earn your paycheck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, and even if you just swept those stairs and it's clean, you can just go sweep it again until it's sixteen hundred. And then you can go yeah. home. <laughs> and back then, we actually looked like janitors because we still had the, the old Navy utilities. It was the blue uh, dicky pants and, uh, <laughs> and like the denim colored shirt. We didn't have the camis yet. Nope. So, um, all right. So how and how long was core school back then? I was there for about four months. Oh, okay, so in, including the class up time. I think that was like two or three weeks. All right. So, um. So let's see, it's getting close to the end of the year then, right? It's end of 2008? Yeah, I graduated October. Okay. And then where did I'm you... I'm kind of glad that I went, because uh, it gets cold in Chicago around that time. Yeah, I went to boot camp January 4th, and that was Ooh. that was terrible. Yeah. that was yeah, Especially for me, because I'm from Florida, so that was my first winter, like, not in Florida. So that's pretty <laughs> miserable. I'll, I'll never... Even in October. <laughs> I'll never forget my... Um, uh, my RDC, the the guy that I had on a couple of podcasts ago, he um, first day we got to our bear, we were actually um, uh, the test division for uh, um, these things called P days. I think they they had them like they've always had P days, but just the way that they did them, they wanted to kind of change it up to where we didn't get our RDCs right away. So what would happen is the first week, like when we got there again, we were the test division for it uh, me or our division and our brother div so we got there and then we had um uh, uh what were they called not influencers uh mediators they they were rdc's but they couldn't do like rdc stuff to us yet 
So mm-hmm. their main job was like that first week they would they would take us. Um, I mean, it was still like structurally boot camp, like marching everywhere, all that. But they really couldn't, you know, uh, um, like uh, there's no instructing going on, or right? And or like they couldn't like punish you with PT and stuff like that. But what mm-hmm. they what they did was they were that first week you were there, you got all your medical stuff done, all your billion shots, you did all your stenciling, you did all the issuing, and then after the first week, your RDCs would come pick you pick you up from them, and then. So as soon as your RDCs got you, all that, you know, all that, the logistics stuff was out of the way. So they could get, like, right to training. Um, and I actually think they ended up, like, keeping that format. Um, yeah, it so, makes sense. Yeah. So the, the RDCs. They, did, I'm they sorry. did something similar like that to us. They called it P-Days and everything, but it was not as structured as what you're saying. Uh, we went and got, like, our PT uniform and, like, maybe one or two other items. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's a lot of sitting around. All right, so um, I forgot why we got off track. Oh, we were talking about Groton, or um, we were talking about Great Lakes in the in the winter. So you uh, graduate core school uh, late two thousand eight, and then uh, where did you end up going for your first uh, duty station? Uh, well, from there I went to Field Med down in uh, uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, Marine Base down here. Okay. Um, so. Uh, field medical training battalion is what it was called then. I don't know. It's probably got a different name now. And can you, can you kind of? I mean, I kind of know what it is, but I mean, obviously, I've, I've never been to it. I know a lot of people <laughs> like yourself who who have been to it. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, like kind of like going to like a little bit like what that is and and why. Um, I mean, obviously, that's a marine base, and um, why like Corman would actually have to go to to that school. Yeah, this confuses a lot of people, including people in the Navy. Like a lot of people don't even know that. Uh, there's Navy personnel that get stationed with the Marine Corps units. Um, but a lot of people don't know, or they don't like to admit that the, especially the Marines, <laughs> they don't like to admit that the uh, Marine Corps is actually a department of the Navy. So in order to, instead of having like double medical and things like that, they use Navy corpsmen for the Marine units for their medical uh, personnel and Marine doctors and nurses and everything, or Navy doctors and nurses. So we kind of just got chopped over to those dudes. Um, but field med, uh, when you go there, it's kind of a crash course into uh, Marine Corps culture, rank structure, their ethos, all that good stuff, their PT. And then uh, and the crash course into tactical combat casualty care and how to do some battle battlefield life-saving skills. So it's essentially like... A... I'm not going to say Marine boot camp, but it's it's kind of just the basics on the Marine Corps and and a lot of P- mm-hmm. a lot of PT, pretty much. Essentially. Yeah, right. it's two months long, and they just kind of get you sort of used to what it's going to be like if you go to a Marine unit, because it's way different than the Navy. Right. So, um, so so kind of like you know to to uh, add on to what you're saying about so like you said like not a lot of people understand that the Marines technically aren't like their own branch. Um, if well, I guess they are their own branch, but they're not their own department. Um, if you actually look on like the SEAL, uh, like the Air Force, Army, and Navy says Department of Defense, United States Navy, United States Army, United States Air Force. But if you actually look at the Marine one, uh, it says Department of the Navy, United States Marines. Um, and like you said, that a lot of people kind of don't understand that, but. Um, and then they look at us uh, as corpsmen, 
And again, Corman, that's also like another weird thing. Like we're not technically a rate either. We're a, yeah, we're a, a core. A core. So we're kind of like the Marine Corps, but we're the we're corpsmen. Um, yeah, the hospital corps. We're a hospital corps. There you go. So it's and I mean I was before I became a corpsman I was in the Navy for almost four years. I mean you know not that long of a time, but um, it was very confusing to me. And, and like you said, like I I was in the Navy for a while and I I had a corpsman on my first boat and. I still like didn't really understand that, and corpsman is pretty much the only rate. Um, well, RPs also religious personnel that can go to FMTB, right? It's just corpsman and, and RPs. Uh, on the enlisted side, we have some uh, personnel specialists and everything too hmm. that kind of come over here. Uh, there's a few that like help out with that stuff, but not a whole lot of na- navy jobs. But primarily corpsman and uh, RPs. Right, and then what? Uh... And then, uh, also the chaplains too, navy chaplains. And it's such a big part of Corman um, history is because down in uh, f- um, Fort Sam Houston, where, where I went to core school, um, and I actually feel really bad that I can't remember the names, but the the two barracks that we stayed um, stayed in, uh, oh my God, I feel terrible right now. One of them was named after um, the first female Corman that died in Iraq. And then the other one was named after like another, um, uh, just another corpsman. I forget why he like they were significant. And then when you walk into the schoolhouse, um, there's a ginormous wall of uh, pictures, and they have um, it's a picture of every corpsman that uh, that um, died like in combat over overseas and stuff. And it's uh. It was a big eye opener for me because, like I said, coming from you know the the sub force, a corpsman to me was just the guy at the clinic that you know wouldn't see me for sick call or something, and then you know, yeah. uh, or who just sat behind the desk and did nothing all day. But then I got the core school and I kind of saw, you know, that what the corpsman rating really was. Um, and uh, there's just there's a lot of history there, which is really cool, and I kind of. Um, well, corpsmen are the most decorated rate in the Navy. Right. As yeah. far as uh, awards go. We have, was it 21 Medal of Honors, I believe, or 22? Because didn't one just get one recently? Um, not 100% sure. Yeah. The one that got recently from the Navy, I believe, was, uh, was a Navy SEAL. But back in the day, the SEALs didn't have, they weren't their own rating. Yep. They used to have to go be a job first, go to your A school, and then from there, then you go to BUDS, and then you become a SEAL. Right. But uh, well, that's, I mean, like that, even, I mean, that's not even. I mean, I wouldn't even say back in the day because that ended in like 2006 was, or. Because actually, yeah, the so um, fairly recently. If you uh, if Lone you, Survivor, I was, was, I was like ju- that. I was just about to say that if you look at the uh, ending credits of Lone Survivor, like when they name everyone, mm-hmm. it, it's all like you know HM1 or uh, there's a lot of like sonar or STS, you know, and then. Uh, like it was all different rates, but they were all seals. Cause like you said, that was more of a uh, like a secondary school that you went to. Now, obviously, it's it's its own its own rate. Like you can come into the navy as a seal, but uh, yeah. it wasn't always like that. There's a lot of like confusing things like that. That um, like well, thing, they've thing, restructured stuff like that so many times. Yeah, it's just it, it's funny how like just people have such a conception of how it it is, and then like it's like you know just totally different than what like the 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 common uh consensus is 
Oh, yeah, it's confusing even for people that are in. I mean, been in for a while, they still don't fully understand it. But and then as soon as you get a grasp of it, they change it. So <laughs> yeah, it's that's for sure. Um. All right, so you get to uh, you finish field med. So again, it's it's just a a crash course into marine culture mm-hmm. and how to wear their uniforms and all that good stuff. Um. And the the reason that we have to do that is well, I shouldn't say we because I, I haven't been, but. The reason most corpsmen have to do that is because, um, like uh, like Dan said, one of our most uh, common um, commands is, is attached to the Marines. So, uh, all right, so let's, let's get back to, to your career. So you, you go to FMTB, mm-hmm. um, and, and how long is that? That's uh, two months long. Two months? So it wasn't too bad. All right, so you go from A school to FMTB, and then where do you go next? And then from there, my first city station was a, a submarine base, Groton, Connecticut. I was at the clinic there. All right, that's that was actually my first duty station, also, which is I'll pretty. Be good. there. <laughs> what? What you? So you were there two thousand nine? Yeah, early two thousand nine till uh, early two thousand eleven. Okay, so you left. I got there two thousand twelve. Okay. Um. All right. So, how, how was your time there? So, you you just worked in the in the clinic, you said, right? But what what did mm-hmm. you what did you do in the clinic? So, when I first got there, I was all you know, hoorah moto, because <laughs> I just came from field med, and then they stuck me in medical records. <laughs> the least least moto spot. <laughs> I was like, man, I can't wait to get there and learn how to do some medicine, do some sick calls, see some patients, and I got put right into uh, admin, <laughs> which happens to a lot of people, which kind of sucks, but. I mean, it's an important part of the job, too, so I learned a lot about medical records, and it's in every advancement exam and all that good stuff. So it wasn't terrible, but as soon as I got a chance to, I put in a request to move departments. Where did you uh, request to go? Uh, I went over to Undersea Medicine. Um, Who, yeah? And then I worked uh, sick call for a little while and got my clinical skills up there, learning from a bunch of the independent duty corpsmen and uh, the different uh, undersea medical officers, things like that. So it's pretty good to learn from those guys. So were you... uh, I moved over to physical examinations department after that, so I learned that aspect of it. So right around, I feel like that would have been a very interesting time to be a corpsman, um, like 2008, 2009. Did you run into a lot of guys? Um, so, you know, if you think normal tours are like three to four years. Yeah. So... You know, three years before 2008 was like 2004, 2005, where every corpsman went to Marines right at A school. So around the time that you got the Grand would be the same time some of those guys were going to shore duty. Did you run into anyone like at Groton, you know, fresh off the battlefield that, you know, kind of um, inspired you or or motivated you or anything like that? Oh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of dudes over there that, you know, been with the Marines, been to Iraq, some have been to Afghanistan, uh, but most of the push was through Iraq at that time, but around the time I came in, it was kind of over for the most part, um, and then they shifted their focus to Afghanistan mainly, so a lot of the corpsmen there were uh, on their shore command rotation. So, so. You, so you're surrounded by like a lot of experience for, for battlefield medicine and stuff like that? Yeah, a whole bunch of dudes with their FMF or their fleet marine force pins and combat action, saw a bunch of stuff going on. A lot of them had been blown up before, hitting IEDs and Humvees, because that's what they rolled around in back then. 
to so, listen to their stories, and I was like, man, I want to go do that. So the the first time you got the chance, I'm assuming you uh, you picked orders to go with the Marines. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one chance I was supposed to go on a, a deployment to Afghanistan while I was there, but uh, I was on leave, so they gave it to somebody else. Oh, like an IA? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I came back from leave, and they're like, oh, man, you almost got picked to deploy. I was like, man. <laughs> so that's so uh, missed it. That's another thing I kind of want to um, – so a lot of people like get that confused also they, you know they think you're in the military and they think like you're just gone all the time um one of the very few nice things that the the military does um is they we have something called a sea t- uh, seashore rotation um did i mean did the marines have the same thing i'm assuming or something similar no they don't have anything like that uh they have their what they call their b billets so it gives them a chance to can apply. Like say you're a rifleman or uh, you're just a grunt, an infantry guy. Mm-hmm. You'll stay at an infantry unit until – or you'll bounce around from one to another unless you pick a job like uh, security forces, uh, embassy duty, uh, drill instructor, recruiting. Uh, you can work over at the School of Infantry as an instructor, you know, things like that. But there's really no like – shore rotation for those guys unless they pick that B billet. Oh, okay. All right. But so, it's kind of like it's not in their job scope. Gotcha. All right. So for for us navy people, we we have a seashore rotation. So um Corman is actually one of the very few rates to where you can go to shore right out of school. Um 95% of the other jobs uh, you go to boot camp, a school, and then you go to a ship or, or a submarine in, in my case. Um, yeah. and then you do, uh, you'll do your first sea tour, which is anywhere from three to four years based on your rate, what kind of platform you're on. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, and then, uh, after that you do your shore rotation, um, which again can anywhere be from two to four years, depending on your job or rate or your rank even sometimes um yeah. which kind of gives us a uh, a break and because you know ships have a high op tempo marines obviously have a high op tempo um and and an op tempo is essentially how much you go in and out um or away from home so that, that, same thing with like the the squadrons too like what the navy has mm-hmm. yeah because like they the, the air mean, side of the house right because like they'll be most of the time they're stationed at like an airfield but i mean they'll go out on like um, on like the carriers and stuff like that. Whenever the carriers go out, the squadron will fly onto the carrier and, and they'll go on deployment with them, or yeah. they'll or they'll just because a lot of or squadrons can actually get stationed in like Iraq and stuff, right? Like on the airfields out there. Yeah, it all depends. Like wherever they need them, they'll task them. Like, hey, we need you at this NATO base, or hey, we need you forward deployed to Afghanistan or wherever the case may be. Germany, they go there too sometimes, right. or ships. It depends. Right. So, so pretty much what I was getting at with that is, is um, that's just a common misconception that the, the general public have is that oh, you're in the military, you're just always on deployment or always away from home. Um, when you're operational, nice. <laughs> when you're operational, that's you know that's that's the case a lot of the times. But when you're on your shore duty, um, you know most of it is a, is you know a, a, a nine to five for a lack or a, an eight to four or seven to four. Yeah. Um, it's more regular working hours, right? So uh, it, it's not always bad, <laughs> but um, yeah. 
so uh, at, you know at the clinic obviously your first tour out of uh, school was you know one of those seven to four jobs and then uh, um, you were there for two years or three years yeah I was there for two years two years okay mm-hmm. and then uh, you picked orders to go with the Marines right yep I right. picked orders to go to second Marine Division uh, in Camp Lejeune North Carolina and you didn't have to, um, obviously, you didn't have to go to FMTB, right, because you already went through that beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, I, I still don't understand, like, the, the numbers to this day, like the the 2nd Division, 3rd Battalion, or can, can you, like, yeah. <laughs> how, how does that bro- That part's confusing to a lot of people. How is that um, broken down, exactly? Well, it's just, uh, it depends on the size, so... The Marine Corps, it's not a huge branch, so they only have three divisions, or Marine divisions. Um, they got one in California, they got one in North Carolina, and then they split up the other one between Hawaii and Japan. So, um, and, and it's like the Army, they have a bunch of divisions. It's just they have the numbers for it. Right. So divisions like the is like the fleet, pack, like is equivalent to the Navy, like Atlantic Fleet, pack fleet, like 5th yeah. fleet, 2nd fleet, okay. And so it goes division, and then what's regiment is next? Mm-hmm. Well, it goes MEF, which is uh, Marine Expeditionary Force, which kind of encompasses the Marine Division, which is all the infantry guys. And then you got the the air side of the house. So I don't remember if it's the MAG or the MAW. I don't remember. Marine Air Group or Marine Air Wing. I forget the breakdown on their sizes. And then uh, they also have like the logistics and everything. And in Lejeune, when you used to be, you just got orders. You just picked uh, Marine Division orders. That means something in the infantry, where whichever one you pick. So I picked second, which was in North Carolina. And then you, when you check in, you go check in at the division surgeon's office to get your orders stamped and all that good stuff. And then they kind of had this big board with all the different uh, units on there, and however many people they had for each rank breakdown. And they kind of just looked at it and said. Mm, I think 1-6 needs a guy, so you're going to go to 1-6. So I didn't even know what unit I was going to, or even if I was going to go to an infantry battalion until I got there. But I knew I was going somewhere within the division. Okay, so so there's pretty much three... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm kind of talking out of ignorance here, but there's three, pretty much three types of, of billets you can go with the Marines. You can either go um, the mall, which is where you're attached to the the like marine pilots the air wing which again not a lot of people know that but the marines actually have like a lot of pilots and planes um so you can be a corner they consider that they consider that the air combat element so the ace okay so you can either you can be a corpsman for them you can be a corpsman for something called uh mlg right which is the marine logistics group uh that's what i don't know if they've changed the name but yeah basically the logistics side of the house or you can go division which is the cool the cool place to go apparently, and that's where you're you're down with the 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 riflemen and the you know the the stuff you see on the movies mainly. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff you got uh, that falls under the ground combat element. You have um, like the typical riflemen and like yeah, like you said, like the movies. And then you got the tanks, so you can go with those guys. You can go with the LAVs, the six wheeled vehicles, the armored vehicles. Uh, they got those dudes. You got combat engineers, EOD, all those guys. 
Is there still cavalry? Or is that that's an army thing? That's army, yeah. Ah. They still have uh, the cavalry, but uh, I forget what they're called now or what they even transformed it to. Because it was the cavalry, and then they changed it to the air cav in like Vietnam. Hmm. So they traded in their horses for uh, for helicopters. But I think what they call cav now is like uh, mechanized infantry, so it's like trucks and stuff. Hmm. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's kind of what it morphed into. All right. Um, all right, so you, you check into there, and, and what was that experience like? Your first, uh, you know, your your first Marine command, you previously, you know, two years prior to that, you you, you know, you went to that FMTB um, and kind of learned all about it. Uh, so mm-hmm. what, how'd you feel, you know, finally getting to that, that first uh, command that, you know, you you really wanted to, to be at, essentially? I was pretty excited, but I was kind of nervous, too, because I was like, I don't know what the hell this is going to be like. Um, but I wanted to do something more than sit in a clinic or kind of float around in like a sick bay area or the medical department of a ship. Um, so I always wanted to go around and be like a ground bounder and be a corpsman for those dudes. So when I got there, like I said, it was like, well, hopefully I get an infantry battalion. And then they're like, all right, you're going to one six, which is first battalion, six Marines. And I was like, all right, cool. And then I checked in there and they're like, all right. You're going to go check in to regiment, which is a step below that. And I was like, ah, I hope I don't get stuck at the regimental aid station, just seeing patients there. So then they're like, all right, yeah, you're going to our – no, I didn't check into reg. Where did I go? So I checked into 1-6. I didn't want to get stuck at the battalion aid station is what it was, where you kind of just see patients at so the battalion level. That's essentially – the battalion aid station is essentially the the marine version of a clinic, I'm, I'm assuming? Yeah, it's like their little medical department. Okay. So if, if you got stuck there, you'd essentially be doing the same thing you did at Groton? Pretty much, just in a different uniform, seeing Marines instead of uh, submariners. Okay. But I love- mean, you, you okay. support field operations every once in a while. You go sit down and be, but you don't really do the actual running and gunning. So <clears throat> luck, obviously, luckily, you didn't you didn't get stuck there. You got put right into the into the division, right? Is that the correct word to use? Or uh, So they, they put me in one of the companies. For the companies, okay. So they were all in the field when I got there, so I started doing some of my check-in stuff. And then they all came back from the field, and I was with the Alpha Company 1-6. All right, so that's uh, that's another word that you hear a lot with, with Marines um, is is the field. Kind of go in, into like what that is a little bit. Uh, the field could be anything from doing land navigation where you don't even have rifles or uh, essentially like camping with the military <laughs> but it can be anywhere from like a day or two to 30 days long for the field operations it's basically just training in the field uh, sometimes it's just a rifle range you go shoot at stationary targets sometimes you actually run in and gun it so you're with your guys and you do like an attack range on various levels but you're, um, you're just you're, basic infantry stuff you're pretty much um, for you're pretty much playing you know, playing soldier, right? Essentially, that's what you're kind of pretty much pretending they're, you know, acting like you're overseas. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you have... go over different scenarios and you practice your various uh, field or expeditionary skill sets. So you work on, like I said, land navigation is one of them. Uh, working on patrolling, all kinds of different stuff. And, but you you also simulate the same conditions you'll have over there, correct? So you got no. No cabins, no showers, no... 
No, you just have whatever you carry out there. Right. So you're sleeping on cots and and using baby wipes to shower. Yeah, there's no cots. It's just <laughs> the ground. Oh, okay. <laughs> if if you're lucky, every once in a while they'll give you a, a, a tent you can use, like a two man tent. But for the most part, it's just all right. We're gonna walk out there, and you're gonna bring everything that you need on you, and that's what you have. And then it's just you're just training, training how you fight, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And how yeah, often? Depending on what the training schedule was. <clears throat> so on, you know, on on ships, essentially, you know, I mean, it's not the same thing, but we go underway for a couple weeks, and I mean, we're out mm-hmm. there just doing, you know, circles. But we're you know doing fire drills and and the, the type of stuff that we have to train on. So it's it's the same 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 uh, same idea, just different you know different concept, obviously. Because yeah. You're... So, so uh, um yeah. uh what was your first uh, your first field op like? Like what what was kind of going through your head? Um, you know, kind of like uh, were you like oh shit like. <laughs> like what, what what kind of was going through your head yeah, it was kind of like that um so like i said i checked in and my marines all came back from the field that i was going to be their corpsman so they're like all right let's go meet the dudes so they're all sitting on the wash rack they're all miserable because they just got back and it was uh it was march so it was pretty hot in the june it was already muggy and they had like a couple of heat cases coming back in so they're all pissed off ready to go home and at the time, I was, like, a little chubby when I was wearing glasses. <laughs> and I came walking out, and they're all looking at me, and they're like, hey, this is going to be this is Doc Robert. He's going to be your new corpsman. And they all kind of just stared at me. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so in my head, I was like, they're all looking at me, like, oh, no, who's this fat nerd? He's supposed to take care of us. <laughs> but uh, then I just kind of started getting in with the guys, and one of them came up and was like, hey, can you take me to sick hall? I was like, sure, man, let's go. So, you know, I started taking care of him that way, and they're like, all right, I like this guy. He's actually taking care of us. So, so. That, that's – um, I, I kind of want to go go into that a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of happy that you said that. So it seems like, um, uh, again, I've never been stationed with the Marines, so I, I might be talking, at, you know, out of ignorance. But it, it seems like um, you really have to kind of prove yourself as, as a corpsman um, and a doc before they kind of uh, accept you as, as one of their own. Um, is that like a fair judgment? or Pretty much. Because, I mean, it's just like any job. Not all corpsmen are created equal. So you can have good ones and bad ones. And those guys have had a – all those guys had already deployed before to Afghanistan. And they had just come back less than like eight or nine months before that. So they had some good corpsmen. And at the time, I guess they didn't really like the corpsmen that they had. He was always trying to like blow him off, like, "Hey, I'll take you to sick all tomorrow," kind of thing. Mm. So once I started taking care of him medically, they were like, "All right, this guy's not bad." Mm. And then, uh, so how many so, how many guys were you responsible for, as like like for yourself? Um, so each uh, platoon has their own. Uh, they have a set of corpsmen usually. And then, so the two corpsmen kind of tag team the Marines as far as like who needs what. So they have a choice, like, hey, I'm going to go to Doc so and so or Doc so and so. So you're not really broken down too much, but you have a little bit of help. So I think it was, I forget how many dudes we had when I first got there. It was like 30 something, 40 something. So it's still pretty, I mean, I wouldn't say uh, like a small group, but I mean, it's still for two of you taking care of 30 guys. Um, yeah. I would assume that's a that's a lot of work. 
Mm. It can be. So, uh, how long were you there before um, the first field that? Yeah. I was there for like two weeks, and I'm like, all right, uh, we need to go get all your crap. So I had to go get all my uh, marine-issued gear and everything. And from there, we went to AP Hill up in Virginia. It's an army base that we were using. That was So my first field op was a 30-day field op. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> oh, so you're out there for 30 days? Yep. Oh, wow. And is that because were you... Do they get longer when like you're working up to a deployment, or is that was that just something that's pretty common to do a 30 day one? No, it's part of like your pre-deployment workup. So, I got there March 15th or so, and they're like, "All right, hey, get your shit checked in. Uh, we got a 30 day field op coming up in two weeks, and then we got 30 days off. We're gonna do all the pre-deployment medical stuff we need to do, and then we got a 30 day field op in California. And then we got about a week or so you get for leave, and then we're going to Afghanistan." So, so I was that, like, oh, okay. That, that's another uh, – um, so you kind of have to uh, prove to the the military that, like, you are ready to deploy. And, and that's, that's, like, another misconception I feel like a lot of people have um, is, uh, you know, a certain amount of months before you deploy. Um, I'm not really going to go into to time frames, but – you have to pass a lot of inspections and things like that in order to even be allowed to deploy. And that's like a, again, I feel like I'm just, I just keep interjecting and, and kind of commenting on like misconceptions for the general public. But, um, I mean, you know, uh, it's not just, I mean, like, yes, they can go, all right, you know, time to go, but there's also things in place to make sure that, you know, you're ready to, to go. So yeah, there's a, there's a set of checklists for every deployment and every branch. So it depends on what their mission is. They have a checklist of, all right, we need to get these things done right. prior to leaving. Or qual- depending on different training requirements. Right, qualified in, in these things because, you mm-hmm. know, the mission is, is you're going to be using these things on the mission, so you need to know how to use them or how to do it. Like, to, I'm assuming, like, tactic, tactics and things like that is more of what the Marines need to train on. Yeah. <clears throat> but, all right, so, so how long were you attached to them before you went on to the deployment? I'm assuming it sounds like less than a year then. It was uh, right after 4th of July weekend. I think it was like July 10th or something. And I got there in March. Oh, wow. So just a couple of months. Mm-hmm. So right. I got checked in, and then we did the 30-day field app, and then uh, another 30-day stint or so of getting shadow records made and shots and all kinds of stuff. All right. And then uh, 30 days out in California they used to call it CAX, but now it's ITX. Um, it's out in California in the Mojave Desert. They kind of teach you desert warfare and things like that. All right, and then you fly from there and, and you go right overseas? No, we flew back. So they flew from there back to Camp Lejeune. Um, and like, I think we had like a week or two weeks before we left from there. And they gave us like six days of pre-deployment leave. They're like, all right, we're going to war. Go spend time with your family for six days. <laughs> all right, and, and what what was kind of going through your mind then? I was pretty excited to go, but at the same time, it, you know, it's nerve-wracking. You're going to go fight a war, and you've been training. Right. Um, doing all this simulated combat 
just drilled into your head all day. And then, like I said, most of the guys that I was leaving with had already deployed before, and they they did the, the initial push through Marja in Afghanistan, which was one of the major battles of uh, the Afghanistan war. So those guys were battle-hardened already, and they've already seen some of the atrocities of war, if you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they lost one of their friends, and they had a couple other dudes, or a couple other guys were killed, and a couple of them were injured and things like that. So they were pretty, uh, they knew what was going on, but I was like the new guy. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's like a pretty big, uh, that's probably like a very weird, you know, state of mind. Like you're you're doing all this training and you're training, 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 and, you know, you're excited to, you know, finally put that training to the test. But on the flip side of that, you're like, you know, you're, you're going where you're going. So uh, that, that, that was probably definitely like a weird, um, cause, you know, on ships and stuff. I mean, you're not, I mean, we train a lot and, you know, we, when we go out to sea, it's like, you know, I mean, it's just it's like a continuation of training. You don't have that oh shit moment. I'm actually doing this, right? Like we're we're there more for you know, I mean, sometimes ships run into like weird situations, but I mean, when you're going on the ground, like you're, like you know, you're gonna go into some stuff. Like you know, you're yeah, you're landing in an active <laughs> war zone. Yeah, so I, you know, that's well, we'll we'll get more into that, I guess. So you yeah. um. You, uh, so you come back to North Carolina after doing the training in, in California, mm. and then you, you head over, you, you go to like Germany, right? Is that where like, and then you fly, what's the, um, cause you, so you, we had to take a bus from Camp Lejeune to uh, Cherry Point, which is uh, a Marine air station. Mm-hmm. I think that was like an hour, an hour and a half or something like that. And then from there we waited for, I don't know, four hours <laughs> on the airstrip. Because they gotta get a, our weight and the all the gear that we have, they have to plug it all in, make sure we're not overweight for the airplane. Um, so then the airplane shows up, and we take a commercial plane from there to Maine. Banger, I think it's Bangor, Maine. So we land there, and then they refuel, and then from there we flew to Germany, and then we got off there for a little bit. Um, and then we flew from Germany to Kyrgyzstan uh, so while we were there we got off on the airstrip and they bust us over the little main base and we were there for I don't know a week maybe mm-hmm. if that and then we got on military planes and then we flew into Afghanistan so we landed in we flew into Camp Dwyer uh, which is just a small airstrip not a desert and then we were there for about another week and we loaded up on the helicopters, uh, CH-53s, and then we're like, all right, now we're actually going to where we're going. Right. So they still didn't have that, like, oh, shit, I'm in Afghanistan. Like, there's a war zone. Because, like I said, it was just bare bases. Right. Because, we, I mean, we have, um, like, the, the big bases and stuff that we fly, like, that you guys, um, I keep saying we, but that you guys fly into, I mean, it's, it's in a pretty, uh, I mean, I guess, safe <laughs> I mean, you're still over there, but it, it's in a pretty controlled region that, like, you know, we have under control, right? Like, yeah, it's basically a forward deployed base, right? But the, you know, like the 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 smaller camps and like outposts is is like that you guys pretty much stay at, right? And that's 
most of the time that's in not so controlled areas, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right there because we deployed to the Helmand province where a lot of the battles have been fought, at least on the Marine Corps side of the house. The army usually goes up north more, but the south is where the Marine Corps did a lot of their fighting. So, um, okay, that, that, that was my next question. So you're, you're in like in like South Afghanistan? Mm-hmm, and the Helmand province. Okay. So we first flew into a place called Treknawa, and I just remember when we landed, I was like, you know, you see the movies, you go into war, you're like, oh, as soon as I hit the ground, there's going to be bombs everywhere, and there's going to be a gunfight. <laughs> so your heart rate goes, like, through the roof, and as you're getting off the helicopter, and then you just kind of go into the little uh, forward operating base that was there, and we were going to start turning over with the unit that was already there. But once I walked inside, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Nothing happened. <laughs> it was anticlimactic. I'm like, all right, your guys, your guys' tent's gonna be over here. You can put your shit down. Oh, okay. You, you're thinking like the the little the back hatch of the helicopter is gonna open up and there's just gonna be instant it's gonna fighting. Be like D Day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, literally nothing happened. All right. So, um, so so yeah, I was actually curious. So how does that? So you guys, you guys get there and then you. Does like the other division that's already there? Do they like hop on those same helicopters and leave, or is there, like a time period yeah. where you guys like you know they turn over all the intelligence and like hey this is what's going on, things like that? Yeah. Or? So what they'll do is they they call it ripping. So you rip with the unit that's there. Um, so they're going to continue manning the posts. They're going to continue patrolling. Um, your platoon commander gets with their platoon commander, and they start debriefing each other and stuff like that. Um, and then, like, after the first day or so, they kind of have some of uh, the Marines that are with us start to stand post up there with those guys, and they kind of tell them, like, hey, we've taken contact from this direction. Hey, keep your eye on this over here. You know, checking their fields of fire as far as the post. And then, like, the squad leaders and team leaders start going on patrols with the current unit that's there. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of turn over with some of the locals in the area, too, like some of the, the good guys, per se. Hey, this is going to be the guy that's taking over. They're going to be helping you out. And they kind of get a lay of the land that way. Then they come back and they tell us. And then it kind of transitions into, all right, now it's our squad's turn to go with one of their dudes as opposed to one of our dudes and their squad. So, like, their team leader and their squad leader comes with us. So that's kind of how it happens. How long is that, like, transition period? Is it, like, like weeks or? Yeah, it's about a week. Oh, okay. Because they push out two or three patrols a day, so it's pretty quick. So what are um, what are patrols? Is that where you're, you know, like, hey, like, you know, we're going to go check out this square block of land and see what's up? Or does each patrol have, like, a certain mission? Or Yeah, it, it depends. Different... They have different types of patrols. They have, like, security patrols where you're basically just establishing a presence. They have uh, contact patrols, which... Uh, you kind of go out there looking for stuff, depending on what the mission is. Sometimes you'll have an objective you have to do. I mean, it, it all depends. Sometimes they want you to set up a vehicle checkpoint and check all the vehicles coming through. And so you guys also depends. like had like you know set up meetings with like the locals and stuff like that, like the village elders and things like that, right? Or and have, yeah, they or call or them have, a re- have a relationship with them in some capacity. Mm-hmm. So we're supposed to be winning over the hearts and minds, and you know, we try to help them with stuff. And try to bring some kind of security to their area. And then, in turn, they're supposed to help us. Like, hey, somebody put a bomb over there. Don't walk there. Gotcha. 
So that's how it's supposed to work in theory. But that's you know that's pretty dangerous for them to do also, right? Yeah, because they're you know they're almost considered like a spy per se. Right. You know, hey, the Taliban comes over while we're at our base after they see them talking to us, and they're like, hey, what'd you tell them, kind of thing. Right. And they're going to be way more ruthless than any military base or military personnel. Right. So it's kind of they're in a kind of a shitty spot. But that's essentially why we're supposed to be there to help them, right? Yeah. All right. So, um, so you get there, you your guy, you guys do the turnovers. Um, what was your first, you know, couple of weeks there like? Obviously, it was your first deployment. How long did it kind of take for the the jitters to go away, or did they even go away? Or uh, the first patrol, uh, I remember stepping outside the wire. And we're going on our first patrol. It's like, oh shit, I'm going on my first patrol. I'm doing it. I'm doing military things and quotes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's pretty nerve wracking that first patrol. It's like I don't know what the hell to do. Any uh, any eventful? Was it <clears throat> eventful patrol or was it pretty? Nothing really the happened. First one? Yeah. Uh, the first one we went over to an area and we sat in a ditch or what they call wadi. Um, we sat there and we watched a compound for a little while, just kind of doing some recon on an area, and then we marched back. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> All right. Um, so you know, saw some of the locals and gave them the old hello wave. So was it, it. was it still the same breakdown? Like it was still the you and one other corpsman and about thirty guys, or is it when you're on deployment, is it broken up a little bit differently? Um. So what we had done. Um, Right before deployment, they kind of restructured the battalion. They took a rifle company from each, or a rifle platoon from each company, and made up another company because they were going to go into a different area. So we were shorthanded. So when we got to Trek now, we had more bases to occupy than we did people. So they split our platoon in half. So they took half the platoon and a corpsman and put them over in this area. And then I was the only corpsman with half the platoon over in that base. So So I was the only corpsman there. For like 15 guys about? Uh, it's about 20, 25, something like that. Okay. And I mean, obviously you guys, I mean, you don't have internet, you don't have anything really, so the, um, did you feel like the, the unit, like cohesion, obviously you get, you know, you get a lot closer, the whole brotherhood aspect, things like that, that, did you feel like that really grew on deployment, or? Yeah, I mean, you start talking to people, and I mean, that's all you can do, is you, you go on patrols with these guys, and you just sit there and you're bored, so you just bullshit with each other. Right. But that was kind of that part kind of sucked. There wasn't a whole lot going on in that area, but I was just so tired because it was my first deployment, and it was just me and half the platoon, and then every patrol that went out, I had to go on. So, what was like your day to day? Your you know your your day to day job? Like what? Like you know, give me give me a basic day out over there. All right, so. Let's say whenever the morning patrol was getting kicked off, let's say we were stepping uh, out the wire at like 6.30, uh, they'd wake us all up. Uh, whoever was going on that patrol, the squad leader would go get them all and group them up and kind of do a pre-patrol brief. And we'd look at a map and you'd say, hey, we're going to go over here today, we're going to go over here today, we're going to go do this. If there's any intel that needs to be passed, like, hey, be on the lookout for whatever, that's all passed during that. So you do that, and then you kind of hang out until you're getting ready to step, you put all your gear on. They do their their radio checks and everything, make sure everybody has ammo or whatever they need, water. And then you go out on the patrol, you just kind of walk around, 
try not to step on bombs and watch out for the enemy. Mm. And then from there, you come back and then everyone kind of takes their gear off, rehydrates, and you kind of got some downtime. Um, and then they have the people on watch, and if something happens, they're like, hey, we need you to go check this area out. They'll scramble the quick response force, whoever's on QRF. So I'd have to put my gear back on and go back out again. So there's usually like a morning patrol and an evening patrol. So at least two a day. And on, <clears throat> did, were and you... In between, you kind of take care of the Marines. Like, hey, I rolled my ankle on the last patrol. And you take a look at it. Or whatever. They, you know, you walk around and ask them if they're doing okay. Did you guys take any... Um, did you ever get like attacked or anything on, on your compound? Uh, that spot? No, we never got attacked. We... We took contact about a week or so after we got there. I think it was like ten days into the deployment. On a patrol. Uh, on a patrol. On a patrol, yeah. They never came after our base. It's kind of a stupid move on their part because they'd be coming straight into machine guns up on the post. That's true, I guess. Um, so they, they try to get us when we're more vulnerable and we're out and about. So did you ever uh, get into any kind of contact or any kind of fight at all that on that deployment? Yeah, so in that area, like I said, we we did a helicopter op somewhere. We're gonna go check something out, and we we got shot at that patrol, and then we dumped a whole shitload of rounds back because it was our first engagement. <laughs> so everyone's everyone's adrenaline's to the roof. The guys that haven't been in contact before, they're just dumping rounds because you know it's chaotic. You don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. and then uh, your adrenaline spike goes to the roof. And the guys that have deployed before, they're itching to shoot. So you know they finally get to fire at the enemy. So your your first your first ever contact was when you were flying in a helicopter. No, no, no. We had landed. Uh, uh, they uh, helicoptered us out to like the middle of nowhere, and uh, then we were supposed to patrol back. So uh, like about half hour after we landed, they were kind of tracking us, and I guess they opened up on us. I was gonna say that's probably like. I mean, I guess regardless, it's scary to get shot at, but getting shot at while you're in a big metal flying object probably would have been extra scary. <laughs> Yeah, there's not a whole lot you could do there. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what was that like? I mean, obviously that's something that not a lot of people experience. What was the first, your first firefight like? Or, or well, I didn't even know I, we were getting shot at <laughs> at first because, you know, nobody knows what it sounds like to get shot at. Right. It's not like the movies where you hear the gun. You just hear like a snap, like a pop, or, you know, the little poppers you have on 4th of July and you throw it and it pops. Mm-hmm. So it kind of sounds like that. So that, I heard a snap. And I looked at the snap instead of the direction it's coming from. <laughs> so I was like, what was that? And then I looked forward, and the the guys that had deployed before had already pushed forward to a wall. And I'm still standing there on a bridge, like a little footbridge. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm getting shot at. And then I heard like seven or eight more snaps and a zing. And the zing means it was pretty close. So I was like, oh. So I just ran back around behind a berm. And then, and, you know, at that point, the adrenaline went through the roof and, I was watching the rounds hit the wall in front of me as I'm running back across to the berm. Were guys like yelling at you while you're standing there? Like, <laughs> nah, it was pretty quick. It was like snap, and I looked, and then I looked forward, and there was like snap, 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 and I was like, oh shit! So that's, like they were still maneuvering to the wall. I was like, oh shit! So I turned around and Just yeah, followed, shoot the leader. I was watching all the rounds hit in front of me. Jeez. So were you? Um, did you ever get to like shoot back, or did the like what? What ended the that engagement? Did they just were they just trying to scare you guys and ran off or? Yeah, they shot like a magazine or two at us, and then uh, 
So I fired a couple of rounds back, but that was it. Uh, I was more worried about making sure everybody was good. Right. So the Marines always said, like, hey, if we take contact, get down, make sure we're good, then you can shoot back. Right. Unless you, like, no shit, see the guys that are shooting right. and, you know, go ahead and engage them. But they wanted me to make sure everybody else was good. Right. And they also didn't want me to get hit. Right, because if, if Doc goes down, then, I mean, yeah, no, who's, who's going to take not as, I mean, they're trained, but not, like, the amount of training that we got. So, so a lot of times I didn't get a chance to shoot back for the most part because it's chaotic, it's loud. You're yelling, "Is everyone good?" And once you get the Roger up from everybody, because they're shooting, mm-hmm. also, so you can't really hear them. And then they're like, "All right, they're good." And it's like, "All right, my turn to shoot." And like, "Hey, okay, we're pushing, move right." And I'm like, oh, "Son of a bitch, I didn't even get to shoot." <laughs> so then you start maneuvering. But a lot of the engagements in Afghanistan they call shoot and scoot. Mm-hmm. So they'll wait until they have a spot to where they can shoot at you and get away. So they'll like dump a magazine or dump a belt depending on what kind of weapon they're using, and then they haul ass out of it. And then we try to maneuver around to catch up to them, but it all depends on what they're trying to pull that day. So um, how, how long was that after you got there, like your first? Oh, the first one? Yeah. It was about um, like total time that we got to Afghanistan or like when we got to our patrol base. Like, what's what was the time frame from when you got to your control base to your first firefight? Uh, or, or about a week and a half. Oh, okay. So you, they kind of just threw you right. The Afghans kind of threw it right at you as soon as you guys got there. Yeah, because they they know what's going on. They see the helicopters landing, a whole bunch of dudes getting off. They're like, all right, there's a new unit coming. So what they'll do is they'll they'll kind of see what your tactics are and see what you start to do before they really start to mess with you. Because you're the new guys in town, right? So they don't want to be like, hmm. well, it'd be the same as if, you know, you see a army unit in your town, and then all of a sudden you see new ones coming in. You're gonna know what's going on in your neighborhood, right? And you're not gonna really mess with those guys right off the bat. You're gonna watch them, gonna feel feel them out. <laughs> yep. So they waited about a week or so, and then they started shooting at us. So after that was like a pretty regular thing, or not in that area. That area wasn't very kinetic, so we were only there for about a month in that spot. We were kind of just there to rip with the unit because they were leaving, Mm -hmm. and then another unit was going to come relieve us. So we were just kind of like holding that spot for them. So when the uh, so you you were in that Providence for just that month. What what was it called? Now we say Providence. So you without the D. You were in the same. Location. Yeah, we're still in the Helmand Province. Okay. It's kind of like a, their equivalent of like a state almost. Okay. But you just moved to a different, uh, like a different camp. Different area, yeah. Okay. So we went back to Camp Leatherneck, which is the big uh, base that's over there. Right. And we were there for about twenty days or so because we restructured our platoon and everything. So they grouped us all back together, and they're like, all right. We're going to make new platoons because right at the time it was only first and second platoon and they needed three positions filled. So they kind of broke off a bunch of people. So I went from first platoon, no, second platoon, and then they made a new third platoon. So I went there. And, and was then, it the uh, same kind of thing? First, it was just you? You were the, you were the only corpsman? Nope. It was uh, me and one other corpsman that were at this spot. So uh, then we went to Sangin, which is a pretty shitty spot. Like, even the Afghan dudes in the ANA, the Afghan National Army, they didn't even want to go to Sangin. 
And what why is that? Uh, it's just uh, the fighting there is a lot more intense. It's more a lot like, more bombs. Their bomb makers were more advanced in that area. It was just more controlled by the was it the Taliban or the um uh, who knows or, man. Or, bad, guy, bad guys. Bad guys. <laughs> yeah. Alright. They have um, a bunch of different names and a lot of them aren't even really like they don't hold an allegiance to any one thing. It all depends. Gotcha. On, it's, it's it's much more complicated over there than people think, I'm assuming, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So you uh, you get to this new base. Um, as you said, it's a much crappier area. So what was the, uh, well, you know, what was the uh, op tempo like there? Were you still doing like the two patrols a day, or did you guys have to do more since it was uh, more of like a, a high risk area? Or uh, so when we got there, there was no permanent bases. Uh, there was a recon unit that was there, and they would kind of bounce around from compound to compound. They had one big base, and then they'd like fly out of there over to this area, and then take over a compound and patrol out of that area for a little bit and then go back to the big base and then fly over to this area over here, patrol out of that area for a little bit and then come back to the big base. So they had no like day-to-day -day presence there at the time. Um, the British had been there before. They couldn't set up bases. But I know. I remember I Googled it because they like, hey, we're going to Sangin. And I was like, all right, where the hell is that? And I started looking into it, and apparently a whole bunch of dudes got fucked up at, like, different units in different countries that were there and occupying. So I was like, Ugh, I don't know if I want to go here. So you had, like, internet access on at Leatherneck? Cause that, that, that's yeah, like, that was at Leatherneck. That's, like, a much bigger – I mean, that's a pretty well-known uh, – I feel like a lot of people know about Camp Leatherneck. That's, like, a pretty well-known like well known thing, I feel like, on the news and stuff like that. Yeah, um, that's their, the big base. It's a, one of the big bases that's over there. Okay. So that, it, you had a decent amount of, uh, um, uh, did, I mean, did they have like showers and stuff for you guys there too, or not? Nah? At Leatherneck? Yeah. Yeah, Leatherneck had, uh, it's all like mobile type stuff, kind of like portables, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a bunch of modular like buildings and like shower trailers and stuff. Because they have to remember, it's an open desert, there's nothing there. Right. So we had to bring our own infrastructure there. So, I mean, but they had all the stuff you'd need. Hmm. They had a chow hall and even had like a little mini PX so you can go buy stuff. So you <clears throat> you were there for, you said like a week or two at Leatherneck, yeah. and then you flew out to this this other shittier place. <laughs> mm, yeah. So we were there, we regrouped, and then, uh, you know, we went out to Sangin, and then they're like, hey, you guys' mission is going to be to set up permanent patrol bases, but first we have to go make them. Wow. So, so since we were a third platoon, we're like, all right, first we're going to go set up first. Uh, or we're yeah, third platoon, right? That's what I said. Yeah. So like, we're going to go push out and help set up first platoon's position. So we went and helped those guys out, helped set up their main position, uh, push patrols out of there. And then they're like, all right, now we're going to go set up second platoon's position. So we went and helped those guys set up their position, patrolled out of there. All right, now you guys are going to go set up your own. So were, <laughs> were, was there, like, Army Corps of Engineers with you guys that, like, helped you build stuff, or was it, like, just just you guys? Um, so what we did was we'd go take over a compound. We'd have, like, the, the PAO dudes that would go around and – be like, oh, okay, we need your compound. Here's money. We're gonna lease it from you, kind of deal. So, so we uh, take over a compound. It's just like a 
almost like Adobe kind of a deal. This is mud that they built a long time ago. So it's almost like a little castle. It's got walls and everything and rooms. And then we just fortify it with uh, sandbags and uh, razor wire and stuff like that. And we bring all our equipment in there. <laughs> we set up like a COC and everything. Okay. So you're going out in, in the, the villages and just taking over a little portion of it? Yep. Okay. Like a small little cluster of compounds. And you would you would like you should, you'd like buy it from the the villager that owned it or like how did that how did that work? Uh, they would either buy it or like do like a land lease agreement with them. Okay, that's pretty funny. You're over there doing real estate while you're in the middle of a war. <laughs> yeah, they had like a their own special little team that would do that. They'd come with us and then they'd work out the deal and then we would just set it up. Was it civilian guys that would do that or was it military still? No, nah, it was like Marine Corps. I think there were lawyers. I don't know. There was something. Huh. That's it was an officer and then like two of his little guys. That's pretty – that's interesting. <laughs> it's it's pretty funny how like how like normal uh, – I should say normal war is. But like I mean you wouldn't think like we're over there doing like real estate deals like in the middle of a battlefield. You'd think we'd just kick in the door and be like, hey, this is ours now. <laughs> like it's, that's, well, that's... we've done that in the past <laughs> in different wars and things like that. So – uh, they were trying to be take a nicer approach, like I said, the hearts and minds of the local populace. Right, because the the only way to win over there is to, like you said, to win them over, so they would help you guys out and to distinguish who the bad guys were and who weren't. Right. Yeah. So what what was your time like there at, at that new camp? Um, we didn't even get out of the. We were, so we were going to push out a patrol the first week we were there, but we didn't even get the whole patrol out of the base because they found an ID. Oh, so wow. I was like, uh-oh, this is good. It's right outside the base, and we can't even leave yet because they're going to call EOD to come blow it up. So, what so I was like, this is going to be a little squirrely. <clears throat> so go, going to what – I mean, obviously, it's an improvised explosive device. It's just a, a, a ghetto-made bomb. Mm-hmm. But um, how do they – because there's different types, right? There's, like, pressure plate ones, and then there's ones where, like, they kind of, like, watch you from a distance and, like, detonate it themselves, right? Like, there's all different different kinds. Mm-hmm. So they use different explosives, too. It's not, like, C4 or anything. It's uh, They use fertilizer, and they mix it up that way. Uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, amyl nitrate or something like that, whatever the compound is. And then they take that, and they put it into, like, a... Some kind of container, whether it's a jug or whatever kind of bomb they're trying to make. Um, they usually use plastic jugs because you can't pick it up with a metal detector. Oh, wow. Um, so they fill that up, and then they put a blasting cap in there of some sort, some kind of little popper to set off the explosive. And then they run the wires from that out to a pressure plate. Um, so you step on it, and it connects the circuit and blows it up. Or they'll do like a remote one of some sort, either it's with a phone or however they want to hook it up. It's whatever sends the electrical signal to actually set off the blasting cap, which then blows up the device. So they would they would dig these things just like right in the middle of the road? Uh, it depends. Like certain areas, sometimes they'd put them in like doorways of compounds. So if you're like trying to bust into a compound, you step on a pressure plate, you blow up. Um, they'll put them on like little goat paths that they knew we'd be patrolling on. Mm-hmm. So little footpaths and stuff like that. They put an ID there. 
uh, alleyways, up on mountaintops where they think it'd be a good position for you to kind of scout out down into the, uh, the valley. They put stuff up there. Different positions they thought you'd be in. They'd just put them there. So every time you guys went out, was there always people with metal detectors like in front, like leading the way, or? Yeah, we had a guy who was just a regular rifleman that they went to a class and they handed him the little sweeper or the CMD, and they're like, "Hey, uh, just sweep in front of you." And if you find something, stop. And then there's a whole protocol for that. And then if you find wires or anything like that, then you call EOD. And they can blow it up. So, um, what like did they kind of train you guys on like what to like look for or? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different uh, IED trainings and stuff we did, like what to look for, watch for debris, watch for like unsettled earth or like a little divot in the dirt or something, or what they call disturbed earth. But in saying, and they were really good at them, like that was their specialty. They were really good at making bombs, so they were hard to tell, and they barely had any metal in them. So even with the the metal detector, it didn't really work. It was all visual detection. And I mean, those things took out like trucks and stuff, right? Like they're not like these. They're not just little little explosives. They're it depends. They're... I mean, sometimes they put like a forty pound explosive out there. That'd be in the roadways most of the time. Um, they put little ten to twenty pounders in the goat paths or up on mountaintops, which is for personnel. They try to blow up personnel. So it, it depends on what they're trying to hit. Depending on how much they're going to use. So did you? I mean, did you guys ever encounter one? Oh, well, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you've, because you said like on your first patrol you guys found one, right? But did you? Yeah, uh, they found one and blew it up. Did Did you guys ever not find one and? Suck yeah, we had a consequences. Yeah, that was the shitty part about it was like you can't you always have to like look around at the ground and so you're looking at the ground where you're stepping and also trying to look to see if you're getting set up on a good shot at so, uh, we had a patrol one time. Uh, one of our squad leaders actually stepped on one. The big ass dude, uh, Corporal Vitali. He's actually he made sergeant since then. But uh, so he was walking through an alleyway, and half of his squad missed the ID, and he stepped on it, and it blew his. Uh, he ended up being like a double amputee. So we had to go up there and respond, and his corpsman was already there helping. Um, but, but we were able to save him. I mean, he had some other injuries, too, afterwards. So he's not all there mentally, per se. So he, lo- but, but, so he lost both of his legs? Or did he lose, like, his leg and arm on the same side? or? No, he lost both of his legs. So we had to go there and you know, put tourniquets on and bandage him and all that good stuff. Get fluids going. Called in a bird. They came and picked him up. Would they use that to, like, initiate onto you guys? Like, once... You know, once an IED exploded and all hell broke loose, would they, like, then open fire and, like, just totally, you know, confuse the shed, you guys, or, like... They'd use different tactics. Sometimes they would try to do that, Um, or sometimes they'd shoot at you to try to go towards an IED. But Uh, pretty much every IED had a secondary nearby. So, actually, like, around the corner from where he stepped on his, there was a secondary that... Uh, EOD came out and confirmed afterwards, but because we were getting ready to carry him on a stretcher to an open field and throw smoke for the the medevac bird that was coming in, mm-hmm. but they're like, hey, "Hey, don't go down that way. There's a secondary." And I was like, "Shit, man, that's the way my whole team came. Like we all walked over it somehow." 
Wow. Yeah, so, like, be... my whole squad just somehow didn't step on it. I mean, like you said, like, that's pretty... I mean, you're in, you're in like, this city or town that you have, you know, no idea about. And then, like you said, you got to constantly look at the ground, but also I need to look in front of you to, like you said, see if there's... I mean, that must be a pretty, uh... hectic... Again, going back to, like, mental state, like, you're just... Yeah, you're constantly <laughs> scanning everything, and it's hard to kind of break that when you get back to, because right. um, you look at the ground, you're scanning the distance, you're looking behind you, you're turning, you're looking this way, you're watching a guy in front of you, you're looking at the guy behind you, and there's all kinds of stuff going on, and it, your eyes just kind of like shoot back and forth all over the place all the time, right. and if you do that for seven months straight, it's hard to kind of break that habit. Right. And I'm sure if you see you know, a civilian, you're trying to figure out if they have a, a bomb underneath their clothes, or... Yeah, we wouldn't let any of the civilians just walk up to our patrol. We'd have a guy go out there, tell them to stop, lift their shirt, you know, because we had an interpreter with us, so he'd be like, tell them to say this. So if they came up close to us, we'd all get in, like, a defensive position and, you know, tell them to lift their shirt, make sure they don't have a bomb on them or a weapon, and then we'd go talk to them. So was that your first casualty, um, combat casualty, was the, the w amp- uh, double amputee? Or did you did you? Yeah, that was that? my first actual or... casualty, yeah. So, I mean, what was that like? It's pretty shitty. I mean, it's hectic. Uh, there was already one Marine. One of his, uh, the other Marines was uh, putting a tourniquet on the one leg. The other corpsman was putting a tourniquet on his side. And then I just kind of went up to his head and started, like, I'd put an airway in and uh, ended up pushing fluids on him and everything and started writing up the admin type stuff as far as, like, uh, a little piece of paper to turn over with the... Uh, the uh, the medevac dudes, so, so I was doing some of that, and, and then I ended up doing a fast one on his chest. That like an IO. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. So what? I mean, for people who are listening, what's who may not know what that is? You know, uh, what what is that? It's an inner osseous IV, so it means in the bone. So it's like this needle that punches instead of doing a like a typical IV in your arm into a vein. It goes into their bone, and then you can push fluids that way. It's essentially just a, a an IV that's a lot faster, right? Essentially, or it goes right to where it needs to go. Yeah, well, I couldn't get an IV stick into his arm because, like I said, he was a big old dude. He worked out a lot, mm-hmm. and then he was kind of seizing up. He was contracting all his muscles, so I couldn't get a space. So I just said, "Screw it, this guy needs fluid," and I punched it into his uh, chest bone. Start pushing fluids. Wow. So I mean. Did they, did they engage you after that ID went off, or was it just a... Uh, no, that, that was one of those just set it and forget it kind of deals. There was, I don't think there was anybody around. But so, what they were trying to do was uh, hit the one patrol and then also the patrol that was coming around to help. But like I said, somehow we all missed that secondary. So we're... Is it kind of like... Um, uh, if you step on the pressure plate, does it go off instantly, or do you have to step off of it also? Or does it, is, does it you know what I mean? As, as soon as you make the contact, because the pressure plate is essentially like a sandwich board of two pieces of wood or cardboard or whatever the case may be with like springs in between it mm-hmm. to keep them separated. And then the top side has a, a connection for the wire, and the bottom side has a connection for the wire. And when you step on it, what it does is those two connections meet with the pressure, you know? Mm-hmm. And then once that connection you know, completes the circuit, 
then it sends an electrical charge to the blasting cap, which then blows the explosive. Right. So as soon as you put enough pressure on there to make the connection, it'll blow up. So you have, and then they, and then they have reverse pressure plays for the same thing, um, to where there's tension on it. And then if the, a lot of times they'll put that underneath the explosive jug, that way when you go to mess with the IED or remove the explosive, it'll complete the circuit that way. Once you remove it, it'll release tension and then complete the circuit and blow up. So they thought of everything. It all depends. Mm-hmm. We actually had one of those where EOD came to pull it out. It was a 40-pounder. So it was like a 20-pound explosive jug. And then on top of that, it had a reverse pressure plate. And then on top of that, it had a, another 20-pound explosive. And on top of that, it had a regular pressure plate. Wow. So that was a pretty big one. The EOD came out, and they like dug out the jug a little bit, removed the pressure plate. And then when they went to go pull the jug with a string at a safe distance, they pulled the jug, and it just blew up. Wow. So, um, you encounter your first casualty. Uh, I'm assuming you guys head back to the compound after all that was said and done, or? Yep, then you just patrol back to your base, carry so, on the day. So, I mean, how was that night? Like, what was going through your head? <laughs> I don't know, I didn't sleep much that day. Kind of sucked. But, well, plus we didn't know if he was going to make it or not, because he was pretty fucked up. Right. So, that's going through your head, and you're just kind of waiting on word, and then... I don't know, eventually I fell asleep because I was pretty tired that night. Um, we had been out since like 4 o'clock that morning. And then we ended up taking that casualty at sundown, so it was pretty fucking late. And how did the, I mean, you said most of the Marines you, you were deployed with were, you know, already pretty battle-hardened. Um, mm-hmm. Did it affect them at all? I mean, obviously, no matter what, it's going to affect you, but, um, you know, was it, was it more of like a just another day here kind of thing for them, or did it affect morale at all? Or uh, apparently, uh, no, you could tell it affected everybody, but they were probably a little better at dealing with it. Um, you know, some of them would come by and say like, "Hey, dog, how you doing?" kind of thing. Right. Because they'd tell you like, "Hey, you did a good job out there. You know, good work, shit like that." All right. So how? Um... I mean, and that was only after about six or seven days of being in that new area. And then, so it's did, like we got there when we, we haven't even set up our base at that point. We were still doing like, a, like what were they were calling surge ops. They were just surging out into certain areas, taking over an area and patrolling out of it for a day or two, just kind of probing the land. Like we haven't even set up our permanent base yet, and he already got blown up. So was that pretty much the tempo from there on after? Or, uh, I mean, oh, yeah. Like, we were getting shot at while we were at the main base. Like, we had a big truck, a flatbed pull up with a bunch of MREs, and they were shooting at it. So, it was like, <laughs> the, they kicked out a patrol the third day we were there. They were getting shot at. Like, it was just pretty nuts. So, there. Because, like yeah. I said, there was no permanent force there. Right. So, we were the new guys in town. They're going to go shoot at us. Wow. And that was before we even set up our base. So. Once we set up our base and we started pushing out patrols, it was pretty quiet for about the first four or five days. And then they, we did what we called a Shura, like I was talking about earlier. We invited all the locals into the area to come talk to our company commander. And they pushed out a bunch of security for that. And they had to sit in a static position, which means we weren't patrolling, which was stupid. Um, for that event, we were out there for like four hours. So... Apparently we got set up on pretty bad, and we got into a pretty long firefight there. 
And I think we ended up taking four casualties on that patrol. That the same patrol with with the WMPT? No, that was about a week later. Um, so did were you on hand for any of those casualties, or was it different? No, that one I was there the whole time. Like we got pinned down pretty bad, uh, and then they had snuck up on us because there was a cornfield in front of us from where I was. So they initiated the attack with the RPG. So we were just sitting there, and all of a sudden it was just ba boom. And we're like, oh shit! So we start firing back a little bit, and then they're shooting. And then I guess they had snuck up in the corn and were tossing grenades at us. And they had a couple of them blow up pretty close to me, and then. Uh, we were just shooting back in that direction. And then we had one of my buddies come down. He was our radio operator, uh, Lance Corporal Harper. He pushed down and to where our squad leader was because I was right next to him. He told me to push down to the next tree. So I was like, all right. So I moved down. And then after that, all hell broke loose for the most part. Um, Harper was hit. He went down. Our squad leader was hit. He went down. Um... I was pretty rocked from the grenades already. And then... Uh, so I was trying to get over to those two to kind of help them out, but I couldn't because we were getting pinned down so bad. And I was pretty much in the open. Um, then we ended up spinning out a QRF force, or the Quick Reaction Force. Uh, and then they pushed out to come help. We kind of got caught in the crossfire because they weren't sure of our total position. Mm-hmm. So they were shooting at the enemy... And the enemy was shooting at us, and we were in the middle. <laughs> and that kind of sucked. Um, and then, you know, the QRF had launched some grenades too, and one of those landed kind of close to me also. <laughs> so I'm like, why am I keep getting grenades blown up next to me? <laughs> Just let me, I want to go help these dudes out. And then uh, eventually, like, it calmed down enough to where I, or I snapped out of it or whatever was going on. I don't know. Uh, I ended up pushing over to help them out. Uh, Harper had been hit in the chest, so he was in very good shape. And then the squad leader, he uh, got shot in his arm, so he had a through and through in his arm, and then he got hit like three times in his plate carrier. Uh, his little microphone that he used to talk into the radio got shot off. He had a grazing wound to his leg. Um, what else? He had some shrapnel in his lip. Somehow he caught shrapnel, but I didn't, even though we were under the same tree in the beginning. Uh, so that and then one of the other one of the other Marines got hit too. It hit him in his little side protector plate and kind of hit him in the back. Mm-hmm. And then we had another guy that had a concussion. And all so that was all kind of happening at once. And all those casualties were were on you, pretty much. Yeah, but then the so the other corpsman had pushed out too, uh, the quick reaction force, and he had come over and he was kind of snapping me out of it because, like I said, I got rocked from the grenades pretty badly. He kind of filled me in on most of it. Like, I don't remember a lot of it. So we just started going to work on those two. And then, uh, so I had one of the Marines checking on the guy that took the minor wound mm-hmm. to the, do the side sappy plate. So I had a guy check him out. And we said, all right, I'll check you out when I get back, kind of thing. So uh, and then, then the helicopter started coming in, and we were taking more fire from the enemy. They were trying to shoot down the bird. They were landing in an open field, obviously, because they can't land with a bunch of trees. So then we ran them out there, and then uh, two of them left on a bird. And then we took the other two casualties back with us. We kind of egressed. And then, uh, you know, I assessed them when we got back. 
So I mean, it's it's pretty in, like uh, as you describe like this this battle. Like I'm kind of picturing it in my head, um, and it's pretty. Not even sure the word I want to use, but you're just kind of describing it as it was just like a normal day, and you're talking about like getting hit by grenades and people going down around you and stuff, and um, it's just uh, it's just like an it's very in, it's very interesting, I guess. Um, it just blows. Yeah, me I mean, there's nothing I can do about it now, so <laughs> right. It, it it just kind of blows me away the. Uh, Just how like normal. well, it was pretty hard for me for a while because you know, uh, well, Harper ended up not making it, so that sucked. And was he? <laughs> so the, kind of going back to to what you said, like you, you said, two you took two guys back with you, and then two guys left on the bird. I'm assuming the guys left on the bird were Harper and your uh, the the guy that got hit in the arm, the, your uh, squad leader. Yeah, Clemens. He ended up being all right. He got shipped back to the states though, because he needed surgery and everything. So, did you? I mean, I'm assuming you, you know, patched them up or tried to patch them up, you know, before they got put on the bird, right? Yeah, me and the other corpsman. I mean, we were still taking a lot of fire, so we were kind of laying there, uh, trying to do what we can and patch them up as best we could. But I mean, where he got hit, apparently, it, uh, hit the one of the arteries leading to his heart or something. I'm not 100% sure. But he was still alive when we left, or when they left on the bird. And apparently they made it all the way back to uh, Camp Bastion, which is the medical part of Ledenek. Mm-hmm. And I guess they rushed him into surgery, and but by then it was too late. So after a while. So we got back. We uh, you know took all our gear off and everything, and I was checking out the other two dudes. By the time I came over, I got done with that. I came back over and they let us know, like, "Hey, Harper didn't make it." So, I mean, what did what did that do? To, so, what, was that your first casualty? Yeah, it was the first guy that I lost. That was our, well, my second, third, fourth, and fifth casualty, I guess, <laughs> all at once. <laughs> because uh, I think it was like it wasn't that many days. I think it was like the ninth was when Vitaly got blown up or the 10th even and then Harper was the 13th so it was pretty close together when we took a lot of our casualties and I mean how did you I mean did you know how to feel or like you know what did that I don't know I mean there's not much you can like I said I had a concussion too so I was a little out of it and then like the next day we went on another patrol and I don't remember that either little bits and pieces Probably shouldn't have went out on that patrol, but whatever. <laughs> um, I don't know. And then apparently, I, don't know, I guess my attitude changed after that from what I've heard from the other dudes saying. Like it wasn't fun anymore kind of thing, you know what I mean? Right. It well, got real. Right. I mean, yeah. Um, And I mean, you're, I mean, how old are you at this time? I think I was 25. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mid-20s. It's weird, man. Like you, you. Um, I mean, I worked with you every day for two years, and uh, I mean, you would never. I mean, obviously, you kind of told. Like, I, I heard the you know the story about like the first time you got shot at a couple of times, but you know, you 
you would have never known that that you went through something that you just described. So I mean, I guess that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's just incredible. a lot of veterans and stuff like dudes that have deployed. Like they get kind of a bad rap because you got a couple of lot mounts out there to I fought in the big war. Damn it! You right. know, like, bow to me, and it's like eh. I get it. I mean, but especially when you're doing it to other military members, it's like, look, dude, I don't care. I mean, you can talk about it if you want to, but don't try to like make that your whole life. Like use it's it, a, use it to it's your a thing you did, and it's it's awesome that you went and did that stuff. But I don't 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 make that your whole existence. Right. <clears throat> That's um. So you get wrapped up in it, and then a lot of people can't break out of it. It's just like yeah, I, and, and everybody handles stress differently too. So I don't know. So I mean, um, I know you. You wear Harper's name on your wrist, right? You have one of those. Um, what are those things even called? Are they just called like name, like name bands, or I mean, it's... I think the company that we got ours through is the Hero bracelets or the KIA bracelets, mm-hmm. killed in action bracelet. It just has their name and, uh, you know, where they where they were stationed at the time and things like that. And uh, it's a pretty common thing. I feel like a lot of, or I shouldn't say common, but. Um, well, in the military, yeah. right? You know, you see, it's it's like that metal, the silver metal, or some sometimes they're black, or they start yeah. out black and all the and all the black gets worn off, so they end up being yeah, silver. It's a, just a little <laughs> aluminum strip that kind of goes around your wrist. Um, but you're starting to see less and less of them, just because you know the dudes that were in at that time during the height of the wars is kind of fading out. But I mean, you still see them every once in a while. Right. They've kind of taken on a different meaning now too. So now it's like. If any service member dies, whether it's in combat or not, it's just like if somebody died in a drunk driving accident, they get a, a remembrance bracelet for them and stuff. And I'm like, eh, that's it kind whatever. of take, takes away from the the meaning of it. Like he wasn't really killed in combat. I get it. It sucks because I've had I don't know one or two, like three or four of my guys that I've served with have died not in combat, and I'm not gonna get a bracelet for it. It doesn't take away from their life and what they've done, but. Right. I don't know. It holds a different meaning for me. Oh, well, I mean, I, I mean, but I'm not going to shit on what other people are doing. It's whatever. Right. Yeah. I just noticed that it's kind of taken a turn towards that. Because you'd be like, oh, what happened? And it's like, oh, yeah, he got killed by a drunk driver. I mean, it's, like, oh, okay. it's, kind of, it's kind of weird. She, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, a lot of those, you know, a lot of the guys from, from those wars, uh, you know, all enlisted freaking September 12th, 2001, you know. Yeah. Um, and if you think about it, in three years, that's their twenty years they can retire. Like it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of weird to think how fast like time went. Oh um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, after that, um, that firefight. I mean, you guys were still there, right? Like they didn't pull you out early, or even though you just lost four people. Uh, two didn't come back. Uh, two of them stayed there. One went. We had to medevac back to just get monitored for his concussion but he ended up coming back the other guy just got a stitch oh okay but I mean like the next day like I said I went on patrol again it's a, the mission didn't stop because some people got hit we just had uh, people fill in their spots and keep going so, so you really don't have a chance to really react to it kind of thing that's why a lot of dudes will come back and then it all hit them because now they have a chance to think about it think about it right so was it still uh, a lot of action, you know, even after that, or? Um... Yeah, we got shot at just about, I don't know, 
for a couple of months, it was like every other day or so, at least twice a week. You're getting some kind of contact. So you do seven months there, six months there? Uh, seven months. Seven so, months. I mean, we really didn't take any more contact after like late December because they don't really fight in the winter too much. Is, is that like a like a? They just they they do like their spring offensive and they push through the summer months and then in the winter they kind of go regroup and gather resources, oh. whatever the case may be, and then they come back for the spring offensive again. They call the spring and summer their fighting season. Oh wow. Um, so you come home, and uh, I mean, are you, are you still dealing dealing with you know the the Harper thing at that point at that time or? Well, yeah, I guess it's that's something I still deal with, but I don't know, it took a little while because I mean his parents were there when we got back, so that was kind of weird too. That's some that's something that you still do, right? Um, like every year you guys go because he was from Florida also, or uh, he's from Georgia, like or, uh, or, or outskirts Georgia. of Atlanta. Somewhere you like took leave, right, to go do something yep. for um the anniversary of when he was killed. We like. They do like a yearly thing where all the Marines get together. Uh, pretty much all of them are out except for me now. Uh, they all did their time and got out, or they're off somewhere else. So, but we try to get together once a year on that weekend. Just get together and catch up and talk to his parents and tell his dad stories about Scott and stuff like that. Um, it's I'm therapeutic that's and it's fun. I'm assuming that's his first name, Scott. Huh. Yeah. That's really cool, man. That's um, is that is that something that's pretty common that like uh, like Marines do, like when they with their further fallen brothers, or um, from the guys that I was with, that's pretty common with them because they do it with another one of their guys too. He's buried up in Arlington. Uh, it's from the previous deployment. Um, like I said, I wasn't there for it, so I don't go to that one. But right. you know, I see them all on social media and stuff. They're like up oh, up here for <laughs> this event, and then there's another guy that's down in Gainesville. I actually went to one of those because I ended up meeting his parents and they invited me to it. So I went to it. He was killed on the previous deployment too. So they do it fairly often. Or it's pretty common, at least from my experience. I don't know if it's like a widespread thing. but So you, you get back to the States and then uh, do you transfer at that point? Or no? Because I mean, I mean, you've only been there for a little over a year at this point, right? Yeah, it had been about a year. Uh, no, actually, it was less than a year, because um, I got there in March, and we came back early February. <laughs> so we did our post-deployment leave and everything, and then everyone that was a short-timer um, all kind of got shifted around, and they restructured the battalion. Hey, who's going to be here for the next deployment kind of thing? Let's redo everything. And then I got moved from Alpha Company to, uh, instead of just being a platoon corpsman, they're like, hey, Robert, we want you to be the, the senior line corpsman just kind of like the the supervisor so you're the main corpsman for a whole company and you're in charge of the, the corpsmen that are in that company as well as all the marines like medical readiness and shit like that so I moved over to weapons company after that same battalion just different company mm-hmm. in that bigger position so you're more of like a more of like a um... it's kind of like an LPO Okay, so like the you're company. More, like a, more of like a supervisor or manager of the all the other corpsmen. Yep, okay. and, and whenever anybody in that company has field ops or whatever, I'll 
be like the safety corpsman because I need a corpsman there on standby that's designated as the safety corpsman. So I'd go do that while the other corpsman trained. And then you did another uh, deployment, right, with a Mew? Yep, I picked up second shortly after that. So we did a bunch of training, and then we went on a Mew or Marine Expeditionary Unit. So we got attached to the Marine or 22nd Mew, and then uh, did all the workups for that, and then uh, drove on up to Norfolk, got on the LHD, the USS Baton, and then uh, we cruised across the Atlantic. And then we did training in different countries and stuff like that. At different Libo ports, it was pretty cool. So it was obviously much, much different than your first deployment. <laughs> oh yeah, this one was like a pleasure cruise. Right. But I mean, it gave me an opportunity to like get some different warfare devices and stuff, warfare quals. So, uh, <clears throat> so a Mew is you're pretty much sitting on a an actual Navy vessel, just kind of yep. waiting, waiting for the call to to go somewhere and, and do the things that Marines do, right? Kind of like a, on standby, essentially. Yeah, it's just a forward, uh, what was it, forward stationed uh, infantry or marine unit. So they have like artillery tanks, LAVs, AAVs, they got recon dudes, scout snipers, like all the infantry guys. They have some air assets. So they're kind of just floating around and they're there to go in case something happens. They could be kind of like a first responder. Mm-hmm. And then you, how long was that one on the ship? Because you're on the ship all uh, the time, right? I mean, obviously, when you're doing training in the countries, you're not on the ship, but for the most part, you're on the ship, right? In the Mew? Yeah, just doing ship stuff. Um, so we would... We were supposed to be seven months, but that was right in 2014 when uh, ISIS really started becoming a threat, and then you really started hearing about them in the news. Mm-hmm. It started in, like... Uh, like they are starting to really... It was after Benghazi and all that stuff, but that had already happened so they you know Libya we were off the coast there for a while and then we push over off the coast of uh, Iraq and things like that so we were just on standby for the most part and then we got extended for uh, two months because they wanted us to push in and enforce the embassy in Iraq uh, with more security so we had to we sent a bunch of guys in there to kind of force a, that position up and then uh, I stayed on the ship kind of sucked sent all my guys in but they're like just hang out here <laughs> so I was just hanging out on the ship and then you know our time was up for the deployment so they're like alright get back on and then we came back home mm-hmm. and then you went to to Kings Bay where we met after that mm-hmm. and then it's time for my shore rotation so I went there but like I said I'm not I don't know if I said it here but I've told you before I'm not a big fan of shore commands I didn't join the Navy to sit in an office all day yeah, do paperwork. I mean, being a corpsman, there's a lot of paperwork involved to begin with, but right. it's not it's not necessarily why I joined. Yeah, clinics are definitely a uh, a weird. I mean, uh, it's, a diff- it's a different beast. It's not a full on hospital, and it's not like an operational unit. So you just right. gotta. I mean, like, a big doctor's office. If like your intent is to like, you know, be like a nurse or something, I mean, I guess it's a good a good place for you but for someone you know like yourself who wants to uh, go do different things and, and go do the the, con- the country's work I guess a good way to say it yeah. you know, it's definitely um, not a place for you well, and- it's a clinics are good because what they used to do in Vietnam even 
they would send corpsmen to like fieldmen and then like uh, a major hospital, so like ERs and ICUs, to be trained up in their clinical knowledge. Because six months isn't long enough to learn all your clinical knowledge from start to finish, you know, with our training. Right. So they used to send them to hospitals like Jacksonville, even uh, Norfolk, even out in San Diego, and then they push them to a marine unit and send them to Vietnam. So they right. spent a year doing that first. So it's it could be good. It depends on your command, really. I mean, I learned a lot of sick hall knowledge and physicals and things of that sort prior to going to my marine unit, but it all depends. Plus, right. it, it gives you a chance to be with corpsmen that are on their shore rotation that may have been with a ship, may have been on a sub, may have been with the marines, the different mm. platforms with the marines. It could have been with the squadron. So it gives you a chance to kind of find out what you may be interested to go do. Right. That's a good point, I guess. And I guess it's, even though it's boring, it's kind of a place to relax, too, because it's not, you know, a very demanding... Yeah, it's well, like a nice ease into the military. Right. Plus, uh, I mean, it's a good opportunity to learn sick hall because you're not just tossed into a, a ward, you know what I mean? Right. So you can learn some of your clinical knowledge, but it all depends on how the clinics reign in each place. Is different. But, but it potentially could be good. Right. But yeah, that's where, like I said earlier on in this podcast, that's where we met. Um, you were my sponsor, uh, which is pretty much you helped me get settled into the new command, things like that. Um, yeah. And then we ended, ended up, uh, so again, I checked in April of 2016, and then we ended up actually leaving on the same day together <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. <laughs> earlier this year because um, I – complained to my detailer and she got me out of there early thank god yep. um, and then you gotta you're at your <laughs> ship now yeah um and uh yeah, I'm, I'm back here in lejeune again back back in the marines oh yeah i give you a uh give you a lot of props man like i said i uh i mean we you know always coke and joke and all that especially at work um yeah but uh definitely a um an inspiration i'm gonna say that uh um you're a badass dude did a lot of badass shit for this country um just dude and, doing things <laughs> uh and it's definitely um i don't know i mean i'm in it so i i get it you know i just feel like not a lot of people get recognition and obviously you don't do it for recognition but um, it's, it's just I wanted, you know, uh, I don't know. I just I want to use this podcast too because, you know, I talked to you a little bit about Harper before. Um, yeah. But I definitely wanted to. It's something that means a lot to me to put on, to, to document essentially, for lack of better words, you know. Um, yeah. So this is, you know, unless unless the internet melts, which probably will never happen, you know, this 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 story will be on it forever and. Hopefully that that means a lot to you, um, uh, and and you know hopefully your your fellow Marines um, to kind of have Harper, uh, um, you know live on, live on in, in in some some fashion. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, it wasn't just me out there either. I mean, I had the other corpsman with me too. So right. we made a good little duo. Uh, uh, Shane Peterman, he's out now, but he's a pretty badass dude too. Right. Um. Well, I appreciate you uh, obviously taking, I mean, we're an hour and 52 minutes in, almost two hours. 
um, Dang. <laughs> into this uh, conversation. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate you um, honestly sharing, you know, what I – mean, I know a lot of guys don't like to share, kind of like you said, and, and, and I appreciate you for going as deep as you did um, yeah. and uh, kind of just sharing the story because um, I, I think it's important. So I appreciate you for helping me out. Um, and again, taking your time out to, to, to have this conversation with me. Um, but yeah, man, um, obviously we're, we're staying in touch with each other. Uh, I'm going to try to come down and see you in a couple weeks here. Um, obviously we're, we're still pretty close to each other about three, four hours away. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, I just want to say thank you. And, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get this uploaded on the internet and, uh, and get your story out there. Um, I think it's important. Um, so oh, hey. thank again. you for your service. <laughs> thank you for your service. You've, you've, <laughs> you've done a lot more than me. Uh, nah. So uh, just thank you, man. Thank you for everything. Thank you for, you know, honestly, thank you for what you did over there. Um, that was before I was even in, uh, see, 2010 or 11, I was uh, fist pumping in Jersey on my turntables <laughs> um, while you were getting shot at. So that's uh, that's something I didn't think about back then. Um, yeah, I was in the same boat, same kind of thing. Like, I didn't think about it. Those dudes in Iraq right. doing that same kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right. It's just not something that's really in your forefront or your, anybody's mind, really, unless you're part of it right. or if you're affected by it. But that's just human nature. Yeah, but that, that's something I, I kind of want to – I mean, obviously right now things aren't, you know, that bad over there, but there's a lot of – kind of like I said before, there's a lot of history and a lot of stories from Iraq and Afghanistan that um, are nec yeah. not necessarily out there. I mean, obviously the, the big ones are, or not not the big ones, but, you know, the Dakota Myers and the Michael Murphys and things like that. But there's, yeah. uh, there's a lot more than, than just that. And that, that's my mission is to kind of get that out there. Um, so thank you again, man. I appreciate it. Um, no problem. And uh, go play some PUBG. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. <laughs> Later, buddy.